We're back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Law Students Essentials. Essentials. My name is Benny and Will. All right, it's good to have you back. So today we have an important topic because we will be talking about professional responsibility. Mm-hmm. This is a topic that every law student should know about. Mm-hmm. It is something that will come up when they're practicing. And especially now, because as law students, we have a responsibility to not only learn the law mm-hmm. and you know learn how to practice that law, we also have to know what the rules are to stay ethical, make sure we don't break the rules and and to go forward from there. That's right. That's right. So, Benny, you're preparing for the MPRE exam. That's right. So, That's what, right. Is, what is it? So, the MPRE is the Multi-State Professional Responsibility Exam. Uh-huh. It's an exam that every law student has to take along with the bar exam in order to be admitted into that state's bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a question. It's an exam that's based on professional responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's sixty multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're given two hours to complete the exam. Okay. And the questions basically test you on the model rules of professional conduct, mm-hmm. and they test you on general rules of professional responsibility and how you're supposed to act. And there are sets of rules that apply to lawyers as well as to judges, mm-hmm. which a law student must learn both. Okay. So, how difficult is this test? Well, I mean, while looking at the material, mm-hmm. it seems like most of it is common sense. Okay. You know, things like you're not supposed to mix your money with the client's money, obviously, because there are certain things that are wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um Things like if there are certain conflicts of interest between clients, Mm -hmm. you can't represent both sides of a case, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you just have to know when it's okay to represent certain parties and and that it's also okay to turn some potential clients down in order to avoid conflicts. Mm -hmm. As law students, we usually think that it's impossible to turn down clients, Mm -hmm. especially when you start practicing because... Obviously, you need the money and you need to start building your book of business, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But especially because we're starting out, it's very important that we know how we're supposed to act in certain situations because you never know when someone might sue you for malpractice. A client doesn't really care whether you're new or, or your experience. What matters to them is that you resolve their case as fast and as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. So for them, especially, they have certain expectations of you, and you have to try and meet or exceed those expectations. Mm-hmm. And professional responsibility is a big part of that. Right, right. Yeah, speaking of confidentiality of information, it's, it's the rule. Lawyer cannot knowingly reveal confidential information as defined in the rule, right? Mm-hmm. So what is... Confidential information, you know, can you describe? Yes. So basically confidential information is any information regarding to that client's case or potential client. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that uh, later on. But basically confidential information is anything about the particular case that you're working on. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer cannot reveal that information mm-hmm. because it could negatively affect the client's case. Right. Uh, especially to the other side because 
you know, if, if the other person has a claim against your client, you don't want to reveal certain information that might help them mm-hmm. uh, against your client. Wait a minute. So by any information, do you mean all the information? So it could be, it's everything the client tells you, uh-huh. uh, any private facts mm-hmm. that the client may not want the other parties to know. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it's not up to you to judge what's important and what's not important. Mm-hmm. Basically, everything that is said between you and the client is confidential. Right. And there is a circle within that information mm-hmm. that is the attorney-client privilege. Right. And that's basically anything the client tells you, whereas confidential information can be things that the client does not tell you. Mm-hmm. So, for example, an example that was told to me by uh, someone who, who specialized in professional responsibility law mm-hmm. was that even let's say you're working on a case mm-hmm. and there's actually a newspaper article on that case, mm-hmm. even though it's public information now, so to speak, because anyone can read the newspaper, mm-hmm. you're still not allowed to talk about what's in the newspaper, See. which is very interesting. So if interesting. someone asks you, oh, I read about this case, mm-hmm. I think you're working on it, right? Like, what are the, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here that this happened. You still can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have to politely decline and say you're bound by confidentiality right whereas attorney client privilege that's more strict that's uh information that the client tells you directly Mm -hmm. communications between an attorney and a client Mm -hmm. those are protected by that privilege right but to my knowledge there are certain circumstances that an attorney can reveal or must reveal information between him and the client right so the rules You have to look specifically how they are worded Mm -hmm. because some say a lawyer may do this or some say a lawyer must do this. Mm -hmm. And so that's important when looking through the rules, not just about confidentiality, but for all the rules. Mm -hmm. And as regarding to confidentiality, there are some some things that a lawyer may do. Mm -hmm. For example, if the lawyer learns about information that is regarding substantial harm Mm-hmm. to financial interests or to you know physical harm mm-hmm. to someone else mm-hmm. then the lawyer may breach confidentiality and mm-hmm. inform whoever you know would help to block that from happening mm-hmm. right another example would be if a lawyer works for a company and the lawyer sees something that's wrong. The lawyer thinks is there, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the lawyer has a reasonable belief that what's going on from the actions of an employee of that company, mm-hmm. then the lawyer would have to inform someone higher up, like a higher authority mm-hmm. within the company. So let's say the supervisor mm-hmm. of the employees who was who doing the actions. Mm-hmm. Then if the supervisor doesn't want to do anything about it, the lawyer can go all the way up, even to a CEO. And even if the CEO doesn't want to do about it, then the lawyer then can inform, you know, a government agency, whatever the case may be. Right. And so, yeah, there's it, there are different situations where different things would apply. Right. Or sometimes if a lawyer wants to prevent the client from committing a crime or to prevent reasonably certain death or substantial body harm, as you said. That's right. 
he or she may reveal the information. Right. They're not obligated to. Right. But they may. Or it can differ from state to state, do you think? Well, so, you know, there are the model rules which have a general consensus. And the states do tend to apply, uh, you know, when making their own rules, they do apply the model rules. It's just that they may be worded a little bit different. Right. Or maybe they have a different number. Right. But I would say the states have similar rules. Right. Okay. And sometimes the client can give a informed consent. Right. So the client can always give inform, you know, informed consent for the attorney to reveal information, mm-hmm. whether it's during proceedings or to the other party. Mm-hmm. That's always an option. And the client can always break confidentiality or attorney-client privilege. Mm-hmm. It's not The rules aren't for them. It's for the lawyer. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer can't do certain things, but the client can always break confidentiality if they want to. Right. You know, that's the client's choice. Okay. And I heard a very interesting law in a class that if one attorney in a large law firm knows something about a a client or like confidential information or attorney-client privilege, um, it is assumed that the law firm knows everything about it. And the law firm should exercise screening. Right, so... (laughs) <laughs> the, the situation I would say where that comes up often is when a lawyer transfers law firms. Right. So they were working somewhere else and then they transferred to a new law firm. And then, so the lawyer was working on a particular case mm-hmm. at that earlier law firm. And now whether the client or someone else involved, let's say the other side of, mm-hmm. of that case, mm-hmm. is trying to hire this new law firm. What the law firm needs to do is make sure they they screen the law firm for whoever was involved in that case. Mm -hmm. And actually, I believe when a lawyer joins the firm, Mm -hmm. the firm already applies a certain process where they say, okay, which cases did you work on? Mm -hmm. Who are your clients? Mm -hmm. So that the the law firm already has like a warning, so to speak, of potential conflicts. Now, if the law firm wants to make sure that they can receive that client or be able to work on that case, they would have to do like a screening process where basically the lawyer who was involved cannot work on the case at all, mm-hmm. cannot reveal information at all, mm-hmm. and that lawyer cannot receive a portion of the fee right. that the law firm receives. Right. So in order to do that, you know, they would have to make sure they, they fulfill that process. And the firm also may have to give a notice to the former client. Moving on. What about termination? Terminating the relationship between the attorney and client. Yeah, so the client has the ability to terminate the relationship at any time. Mm -hmm. And it can be for any reason or no reason. Right. So they can just fire the lawyer because they don't like them. You know, it could be any reason. Mm -hmm. But the lawyer can't do that. Cannot do that. Because it would be putting the client in an unfavorable position mm-hmm. of having to look for another lawyer. And especially if it's in an inopportune time mm-hmm. during the case. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer has to have a reason mm-hmm. to back out. Whether it's because a conflict arises mm-hmm. 
or maybe because the client insists on pursuing an illegal Mm -hmm. strategy Mm -hmm. or course of action. Mm -hmm. If the lawyer can't talk that client client out of acting illegally, Mm -hmm. then the client, I mean, the lawyer can withdraw. But obviously they would have to petition a court uh, in some cases. Mm -hmm. They would have to get the court's permission. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and there are certain situations where the lawyer can withdraw. Also, a lawyer can withdraw if, for health issues, they can't continue representing a client. Right. If the client wishes to use the lawyer's services to perpetrate a crime mm-hmm. or fraud, let's say, then the lawyer can also withdraw. Mm-hmm. And that's alluding to the previous situation we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer should always try and do it in such a way or at such a moment when it would not adversely affect the interests of the client. Okay. I think that's the most important part. Right. What about in that attorney-client relationship? What a lawyer can do and what a client can do can be a very important issue. For sure. Right. You want to talk about it? Okay. So basically the client has the right. So let's say in a civil case, If there are settlement talks, for example, the lawyer has to inform the client of any settlement offers, Mm -hmm. and the final decision will always be that of the client. Mm -hmm. If the client wishes to take the offer, then the lawyer can do so. If the client does not wish to take the offer, then the lawyer cannot, you know, circumvent the client and just do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. But Another side of it is the strategy of the case. That's what a lawyer is in control of. Mm-hmm. So if a lawyer thinks a certain course of action is better or a certain claim, then the lawyer is free to decide on that because the client is hiring the lawyer for, for that reason, you know, to get a good feel of the case and to get good representation. Right. In regards to criminal cases, the same thing sort of applies. Any offer of pleading guilty or not guilty or anything you have to do with, you know, talks with prosecutors or anything like that, the client has the final decision on that. The lawyer can't force the client to plead guilty, let's say. It will always be the client's choice. Moving on. Let's talk about competence. Can a lawyer take any case? What if the lawyer doesn't know anything about that case? All right. So especially as a new attorney, I don't think you already know, or you're already up to date with the laws regarding any field of law. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to especially know how to work within a team. Because a lawyer who does not know or is not experienced with a particular field of law cannot adequately represent that client. Right. So in terms of being competent, yes, a lawyer needs to be familiar with that field of law, I feel to adequately represent the client. Of course, a lawyer can always do research to get themselves acquainted with that law. But then what happens is that they spend a lot of time doing the research. And, you know, if you're billing for that, for each hour of that time, then the client is paying more than they would have paid if they had gone to a lawyer who was already experienced, right? right? So a lawyer needs to be careful to make sure that they stay up to date regarding the laws and their jurisdiction and that, they try and work as efficiently as possible. Right. So if, let's say, you're a young attorney, I don't think you should be afraid to consult with a supervisor. Mm-hmm. 
to not be afraid to ask questions, not to make it very often where the supervisor gets tired of you, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to give off the impression that you're not responsible. Right. But if you don't ask questions, then there's more of a possibility that you will make a mistake and you don't want to be in the position of having to answer for a mistake that costs your client right. a lot of money. And related to competence, there is duty of diligence and communications. What should a law student know about this? So in regards to diligence and communications, this is basically that not only do you keep the client informed of what is going on with their case, Mm -hmm. because you never want to keep a client in the dark. You want to make sure the client is happy in the sense that you're keeping them informed. If there are any updates with the courts or the issue at hand that you keep them informed so that they can be relieved that they know what's going on with their case. You know, they're not left in the dark. Right. And it's also important for the lawyer to be informed of what's going on in their jurisdiction, to make sure they're following all the deadlines, not falling behind, because it can happen where the lawyer is great in terms of substance, mm-hmm. that they know what the law is, they know the claim, they know everything having to do with winning the case. Right. But they're having a bad time of filing briefs on time, let's say, or keeping their office up to date with the material. It's important for a law student to know that not only do they have to stay abreast of the law, but to also make sure that they are working as a team if they're working on a law firm or if you're a solo practitioner, that you keep yourself informed and updated with the law and you know what's going on in general. Right. And it's always good to be on a good side of a client. You don't want to get them upset because not only can it cost you business, uh, let's say, but if they have a claim for malpractice or something, if you make a bad mistake, you don't want to be in the position of having to look for a lawyer yourself because there are claims against you. So it's always important to be cautious. So I have a question for you, Will. Sure. Regarding what I just said, so the lawyer has these duties, Mm-hmm. And a lawyer expects to be compensated for all this work that the that they're doing for the client. Right. In regards to fees, mm-hmm. how do fees work? In regard to that, the fees cannot be highly excessive. It mm-hmm. must be reasonable. Actually, there's a very interesting case about this. The mm-hmm. Inri Lawrence S. Fordham. Timothy Clark was charged with drunk driving, and his father retained a lawyer. The average fees for this kind of case was $3,000 to $10,000. But the attorney charged $50,000 for this case. Although he did a very good job, the issue was whether he could get $50,000 out of this case. The court said he can't. He had no experience in this area, and he charged too much time in representing his client in this $50,000 here was too excessive from the judge's point of view. Yeah, one thing I think that is beneficial to do in regards to fees is to have a to put it in writing mm-hmm. when the represent when the representation begins mm-hmm. so that the client knows how much you're going to charge or how you're going to charge mm-hmm. and there won't be an issue I feel mm-hmm. later on when it, when they do get a bill. Mm-hmm. So, and I do know that in regards to 
contingency fees, they have to be in writing. And because sometimes they, their way of calculating those fees can be a little complicated. So the lawyer has to know how to explain it to the client. And I think it's a good idea, even if it's not a contingency fee, mm-hmm. to put it in writing. I think that would solve a lot of issues. Right. And in regards to fees, I also know that sometimes third parties are involved. Right. So how would that work? Can a third party pay for the fees of someone else? Yes, according to the law, a third party can pay the fees for certain issues, but the third party doesn't have a say in that case. Mm. That's important. Right. Yeah. All right, and since we're talking about money, I think it's useful to mention about how a lawyer should safe keep a client's property. Right. So, for example, if a lawyer receives a settlement offer and the client accepts that offer and the lawyer receives that settlement money. The lawyer should not obviously mix it with his own money. It should be kept in a separate account for the client. And then of course the lawyer should inform the client that the money was received and then they go on from there. But if it's things that are not money, if it's property, so let's say it's jewelry, Mm -hmm. it's almost always beneficial to have them put separately, let's say in a safe deposit box mm-hmm. so that they, the lawyer knows where it is, the client knows where it is, and there won't be any issues of losing the property mm-hmm. or anything like that. Because if the lawyer does not do that and they put the property somewhere else that's not safe, mm-hmm. let's say they, put, they leave it in their office mm-hmm. and one of the secretaries or something mm-hmm. comes into the office, sees it, and then steals it, mm-hmm. then the lawyer will be liable because mm-hmm. they should have no, they should have known what's going on in their office. Mm-hmm. You know, they should have kept that property safe. Right. And actually, another issue I think that is also important is in regards to supervising employees. Mm-hmm. Because a supervising attorney has to make sure that they, that they stay on top of what the junior attorneys are doing mm-hmm. and what the paralegals are doing and the other employees because some things paralegals cannot do. For example, they cannot draft documents. They cannot take the depositions. Mm-hmm. Those things only a lawyer can do. Right. But employees that are not lawyers can fill out forms, mm-hmm. do things like that. So that's also important. Because even though, let's say a paralegal makes a mistake mm-hmm. and they were practicing law by mistake or they were ju- they just made a mistake that the supervising attorney should have been aware of Mm -hmm. that supervising attorney will be liable and as an attorney you need to know that that's very useful information so yeah i think that's it for today all right and before we close we just want to say that you should always stay up to date in the rules in your jurisdiction um whatever we said don't follow it word for word because it might be different depending on the jurisdiction that you practice. And we spoke about these issues in general, but it's always useful to do your own independent research and reading and make sure you stay informed. Stay informed, stay updated. Yeah. Practice law safely and everyone will be happy. (laughs) Okay. All right. See you later. Take care. Stay tuned. Essentials.